and how good it is to come to God's Word to worship as well. And we have opportunity to open the Word together and to worship together. And so let's go, Lord, in prayer as we prepare our hearts for that. Precious Heavenly Father, we bow our heads before You this morning, and I pray that it would be the attitude of our hearts, that our hearts would be bowed and yielded and surrendered to You, that as we open the Word together, we would humble ourselves before it, before this perfect law of the Lord that revives our souls. Lord, we know that this testimony before us, as we open Your Word, is sure and it makes why is this simple? So we ask God for your wisdom. How short-sighted and short-handed we would be without your word. So God, I pray as we ask this morning, give us your wisdom as we study your word together and make us wise for living that's Christ-honoring and God-glorifying. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4, would you please? 2 Timothy chapter 4. We return to our series of studies that we've been enjoying here in 2 Timothy, and we go to chapter 4, and we're going to be at verses 6 through 8. Again, this morning we began looking at these verses last week where we're finding lessons from Paul on finishing well. And I just want to look at these three verses again this morning. We began looking at, at them and gave emphasis to verses 6 and 7 last week. And we're going to be giving special emphasis to verse 8 this morning. But I want to read all three verses because this is the end. We're at the end of Paul's life and he is writing his last letter. And he is writing to Timothy to encourage him, to equip him, to challenge him as he leads the church and preaches God's Word and spreads the Gospel and we find here in, in this series of verses and in these three verses some, um, some lessons from Paul about what it takes to finish well. And by implication, what it takes to live well, to live for Christ. Look at verses 6 through 8 as I read. I hope you have your copy of God's Word and follow along as I read from mine. Second Timothy 4, verse 6. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing." Now, I read those three verses, and and I began thinking as I read those verses earlier, I, I think, well, how in the world could Paul get to this point in his life? How could he come to this point and finish so well? Because as you read those three verses, there's something absent. You may not have thought about it, but if you if you understand where he is, he's in a dark dungeon of a prison cell being held for doing what Jesus Christ saved him for. He was preaching the gospel. And he knows that he is very near the end of his life, and he knows that he will very likely die by the sword. He will lose his head. 
And yet, he's able to say what we just read there in those three verses. That amazes me. How can Paul come to this point in life and he is sitting where he's sitting, writing what he is likely aware of being his last words in, in print to Timothy, and, and yet there's something missing here. He is not bitter. We don't see bitterness from Paul. He's not complaining. What do we learn from Paul about how all followers and believers of, in, in Jesus Christ, followers of Christ, how do we, what do we, what do we learn from Paul about how we can finish well? I mean, we don't see from him the bitterness or complaining that we, we might expect if we were to put ourselves in his prison cell and take his lashes and his shipwrecks and so on and so forth. All the things that we see that Paul has been through for the sake of the gospel. We might be honest in saying that, you know, we come to this point, we just might complain a little bit. We complain easily, don't we? We are easy. It's easy for us to complain. We're quick to complain, but yet that's not what we see Paul doing here. And so we have to come to a passage like this, and I want to challenge you again this morning to think with me. How is it we can finish well? What can we learn from Paul about finishing well? Paul had the right perspective, I'll tell you this. He had the right perspective on life and on death. And that's something we learn from Paul about finishing well, about living well for the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to live well for the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is live for the kingdom of God, which is advancing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, telling the good news to people who desperately need to hear it. If you want to do that effectively, you need to have the same kind of an attitude that we see from Paul here. Paul had the right perspective on life and on death. You could say he had the right past, present, and future perspective. I mean, his his whole life has been a living sacrifice. God arrested his attention, remember? Jesus Christ saved him. Otherwise, Paul would have gone on persecuting the church and persecuting and killing Christians, doing the very thing that, that now is being done to him. His life had been a living sacrifice. We saw it last week in verse 6 because he says here in verse 6, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. Already. He's saying I'm already sacrificing my life. And he's not bragging here. Some, some had argued, boy, this seems pretty pompous of Paul to say I'm being poured out. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. That's not what I see here. That's not Paul's attitude. He knows what he has been saved from, from what God has saved him from and what God has saved him to. And and the way he has lived his life has led to this point where Paul can say, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. I am already living my life as a living sacrifice for the Lord Jesus Christ. For the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the advancement of the kingdom of God. And so as I am being tortured as I'm being imprisoned and as I lose my head, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. This is a sacrifice. My life is a sacrifice to the Lord Jesus Christ. His life had been a living sacrifice and it had been a life lived for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of preaching the gospel. His eternity, though, would be something entirely different. And we see that in verse 8. His eternity would be something very different than his life on earth awaiting him 
was what he called the crown of righteousness. And we saw last time that for the believer to finish well means two things. It means to uphold and to proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to finish well, if you want to live well for the Lord Jesus Christ, then you proclaim the gospel. The gospel is the good news. How can you not proclaim it? How can you not tell others about being saved from your sin? That's part of living well for the Lord Jesus Christ is proclaiming, it's upholding the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Also to finish well means that you are willing to and you endure suffering for the sake of the gospel. Because when you live in this world for the Lord Jesus Christ and you speak the truth of the gospel to people, you will eventually suffer for the sake of the gospel. Just as Paul is, just as many others who have gone before us, we, we may not be imprisoned. We live in a society that is so accepting of the gospel that we don't tell it anymore. Sometimes I wonder, and, and others have wondered, if if there was more persecution on the church in the United States of America today, if we might tell others about the gospel more than we do. And I would suggest that would probably be true. Because often when the church is persecuted, the gospel takes great leaps and bounds. But when the church isn't persecuted, we get kind of lazy and lackadaisical. Well, let it not be so of God's church. Let it not be so of God's people. Because to finish well for the Lord Jesus Christ means we proclaim the truth. And sometimes that means we're going to be opposed. Sometimes that means you're going to be persecuted for speaking the truth of the gospel. And you need to be willing to do that and ready to endure suffering for the sake of the gospel. Those two things we talked about last week, we're going to add a third this morning. We learn from seeing Paul's perspective that he had the right perspective of his life. It was a life lived for Christ. He had a right perspective of the past. His life had not been a waste. He had fulfilled the purpose for which Jesus Christ had saved him. He had fought the good fight. He had finished the race. He had kept the faith. We come to that passage in verse 7. We say, how can you say that? Some people might look at Paul's life. Look, they're going to take your head, Paul. How can you say that you've fought the good fight? You've finished the race. You've kept the faith. You're losing. And that is not how Paul saw it. And that is not how the Lord Jesus Christ sees your faithful service to Him. God is not looking for results. He's looking for faithfulness. Leave the results in God's hands, right? Be faithful. That's what Paul was doing. He was fighting the good fight of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was spreading the gospel. He had finished the race. He had kept the faith. And we know also that he had a right, a right present perspective. He's looking around now and he's saying, I have this, I have things before me that are, that are troubling, but I know I am fighting the good fight. I'm finishing this race that the Lord Jesus Christ has appointed me to, and I have kept the faith. He wasn't complaining here about the outcome of his life. He knew that finishing well for God's glory and the approval of his heavenly Father meant not success, but faithfulness. He said, I've been faithful. I have been faithful. And we can see too in verse 8 that he has the right future perspective. His eyes are on his eternal reward, which is every believer's eternal reward. You need to hear this this morning, that what Paul is talking about is, is, is the eternal reward that every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and follower of the Lord Jesus Christ is going to obtain one day in eternity 
His eyes are on this eternal reward, which is for every believer. It's every believer's eternal reward. He has a heavenly perspective. He sees the end of his life approaching. He also indicates that it's not simply an end of life. It's not, it's not that I have this heavenly perspective because it's the end of life, but it's the anticipation that, that he and all believers should have as, as they complete their life as they journey on to eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. We noted it last week as we were looking in verses 6 and 7, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. That departure indicates the idea, the idea in the original language being the pulling up of tent stakes and ropes to fold the tent and put it away finally, to never go camping again. Some, Some people say that's your idea of camping, to put the tent away and never go camping again. We enjoy it as a family. We do that. But I'll tell you what, there's something special about after being out camping for a week to take that tent down and to put it away and to put it in a trailer and go home and to turn on the lights and to flush the toilet and to run the water. I just go out and turn all the lights on and flush all the toilets and run all the water. It's like, woo we're home. Paul says, Fought the good fight. I've come to the end. My departure has come. I'm, I'm dropping the tent. I'm t- pulling up the stakes. I'm going home. I am going home. I have, I have finished the race. I've finished this good fight. Also gives the idea of casting off, pulling up a rope from the, from the side of a boat from the shoreline and casting off. That's what Paul's talking about here. And he has this heavenly perspective as he sees the end of his life approaching. And he indicates it's just not, it's not simply an end of life heavenly perspective, but it's how I've lived my life for the Lord Jesus Christ because I know there's this eternal reward, there's this better eternity than this temporary day. And look at verse 8 again. Henceforth, There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved His appearing. Now, how in the world could Paul live through present persecution? The same way you can. Don't forget, an eternity awaits. Don't forget... What Paul knew, he knew that he was involved in the good fight. If you're faithfully serving the Lord Jesus Christ and you're yielding to God's Word, you are fighting the good fight. If you're spreading the Gospel with your life and your lips, you are fighting the good fight. And Paul knew that he was involved in the good fight, which we noted is for every believer to be involved in, which is advancing the kingdom of God spreading the gospel of salvation, telling the good news. But there's another reason Paul can endure present persecution. He says there in verse 8, look at it, henceforth, or the idea here is in the future, or even finally. Here's his future focus. There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. Finally, there is laid up for me in heaven, in eternity, The crown of righteousness. How does Paul deal with being in prison in a filthy, dark dungeon knowing he will soon lose his life and it will likely be by the sword losing his head? He looks beyond this severe present hardship. He looks to eternity. He looks to heaven. And so he says, finally, there is laid up for me, which 
means when you think about laying something up, it, it means something's been put away for safekeeping. You've done that, right? You put something away for safekeeping his, his eternity. His crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on it. It's been put away. It's been kept in safekeeping for him. Safely stored and kept. I, I think as we think about that thought, it really is an accurate picture of the safekeeping of a believer's salvation. It's a very accurate picture of the keeping of a believer's salvation. Jesus Christ saves you from your sin and He keeps you. A believer is kept secure by God, but there's something else Paul has in mind here. It's secure. It's kept. It's a sure reward. It's for certain. He says, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. Now, after Paul had fought the good fight and run the race and kept the faith, he was confident that he was going to receive his eternal reward, this crown of righteousness. Now, what is that? What is this crown of righteousness? Well, very simply stated, I think what Paul has in mind here is that this is a, this is a crown of eternal righteousness. I think he has in mind here the very righteousness of Christ that's given in all of its perfection to the believer in heaven. Every follower of Christ who gets to heaven is going to receive the, the perfect righteousness of Christ, eternally so. Now, does that mean that we don't receive individual reward based on our faithfulness? No, I, I do believe that there will be some individual rewards or lack of reward based on our faithfulness to God. Certainly the Scriptures point to that elsewhere. 2 Corinthians 5.10, Paul makes it clear that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. But I think in the case of verse 8 here in our text, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, I think in the case here, Paul is talking about the crown of righteousness which is for every believer. This is not something you earn. You need to understand that you don't earn the righteousness of Christ. I think Jesus' explanation of the parable of the landowner in Matthew 20 as he makes clear that every believer will receive equally eternal life and eternal righteousness is a, is a very fitting description of what Paul is talking about here. Remember what Jesus taught in Matthew 20? You're, you're familiar probably with the story in Matthew 20. In verse 1 it says, "...for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house..." who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And, and then it goes on to tell how he went out in the morning and he hired laborers, and he says, here's how much I'm going to pay you. And, and then he went out and hired more laborers later on, and they worked with the first laborers. And he went out even later and hired more later on, and they worked with those earlier hired laborers. At the end of the day, what did he do? The landowner gives them all the same wage. Now, what would you say? That's unfair. And that's what they said. The first hired laborers said, wait a minute, we've been working all day and you're paying them the same thing you're paying us? And Jesus says in verses 15 and 16, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? He says, here's what the landowner says. And by implication, this is what I say about salvation. The landowner says, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you... Begrudge my generosity, so the last will be first and the first last. That's an accurate picture of Christ's righteousness given to the believer in Lord Jesus Christ. If we weighed 
the lives of individual people and said, boy, he deserves Christ's righteousness more than she does, or she does more than he does, or so forth. Jesus says, I'm wiping all that out. I'm going to give you all my righteousness. I can, I can give as much to the first person or the last person or the middle person. The first will be last, last, first. Put the last person to first and first to the last, whatever. I'll give them all the same. And so it is with the crown of righteousness. It is for all believers. Well, think about it like this. What is the toughest fight that you fight in this life? And don't you look at your spouse. <clears throat> What is the toughest fight that you fight on this earth? And you need to look in inward to answer this question. Think about it. What's the hardest battle you wage in this life? Isn't it the war with sin? Isn't it the war with sin? Isn't it the battle with sin in your own life? It's our own constant fight with sin, isn't it? The hardest battle that you and I fight in this life, is the one to be done with sin, to get rid of sin, to kick it out once and for all, to be done with it, to kill it. And yet, it's about time you think you got it killed. It rears its ugly head again, right? Let me ask you, and you know the answer to this, will we conquer sin while we await our heavenly reward? Are we going to be done with sin this side of heaven? No. But there's hope, isn't there? Doesn't the Lord Jesus Christ give us hope? He says, I'm going to give you a new comforter. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you God living in you. And I'm going to give you, give you His Word. I'm going to take the Word and I'm going to use it in you, shape you in the likeness of Christ so that what you do, you do for God's glory. You're not always going to do everything for God's glory. And even some good things that you intend to be for good purposes, you're going to do for wrong reasons. And so even those good things you do at times are going to be for sinful reasons. And we struggle with that, don't we? But when we all get to heaven, when we all get to heaven, I I can't help but think about the song we sing, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. Because, for one thing, we're going to be done with sin. We're kicking it out once and for all. It's not us. It's the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ that He pours out on us that will allow us to be done with sin. Not because of anything that you have done or I've done. We will be done with sin. Our fight with sin will be over when we receive the crown of righteousness. And Paul says this crown of righteousness will be awarded by the Lord, the righteous judge. There's a reminder here that God is gracious to award to sinners. Think about it. God, the righteous judge, the Lord Jesus Christ, the righteous judge, is going to award to sinners complete righteousness, the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. The Lord is the righteous judge. And this wonderful reminder of God's grace for undeserving sinners that the Lord Jesus Christ would give us His righteousness, put on us, pour in us His righteousness, undeserving as we are. But that's it. That's the truth. For those who repent of sin and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will one day be done with sin. 
In Romans chapter 4, verses 6 and verse 11, we learn that believers are counted righteous apart from their works. Remember that. It's not because of your works that you're going to receive the righteousness of Christ. It's in spite of your works. When we believe in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, He imputes His righteousness to us. And yet, we still struggle with sin, don't we? The battle with sin isn't over for us yet. Yes, the Lord Jesus Christ expects His children to take the Word in, to humble themselves before the Word, to humble themselves under the mighty hand of God and allow the Word to pierce your heart and soul, to teach you, to change you, to conform your thinking so that you will be more and more like Christ day by day. But in this fallen and corrupted world in which we live, perfection is impossible. And we and how well we know that, don't we? We know that we daily struggle with sin. And so we could we could flounder and, and be discouraged and beaten down and say, Boy, I'll just never be done with this sin, I give up. But that's not what the Lord Jesus Christ says in his word. That's not what Paul was saying. Paul was saying, Look, I have it's finally here. The day has come. I'm going to receive the righteous crown, a crown of righteousness. When we believe in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, He imputes His righteousness to us. How gracious of Him. And yet we still struggle with sin. The battle of sin is not over for us. Only when we see Christ will the war with sin be over for us. And that will be when Christ's righteousness will be perfected in us. Christ's righteousness will be perfected in us when we see Christ. And that will be when we receive that crown of righteousness and note that Paul says it's not only for him. You say, how do you know this? How do you know we're going to get a crown of righteousness? Because Paul reminds us, this is in God's inspired word. And God inspired Paul to write this in verse 8, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. That's the perspective Paul had. It's that eternal perspective. That's the perspective Paul wanted Timothy to have. That's the perspective the believer who wishes to finish well must have. So Paul reminds us here how to finish well. You keep a heavenly perspective as you know Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Listen to these verses in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. You keep a heavenly perspective while you live here on earth. It doesn't mean that you're so heavenly minded you're no earthly good, but it means you're so heavenly minded you are earthly good. Because you know what awaits you, and you know that this is the task that God has given you to live today for His glory. And so you take up the gospel and you make it your own and you tell it to others. And you live it before others. You keep a heavenly perspective. The believer will finish well who keeps a heavenly perspective who sets his heart and mind and life on the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. You look forward to that day? Or maybe and maybe you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ and you're just living for today and trying to get a better tomorrow. 
If you've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, you're not looking forward to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why Paul says, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved His appearing. You want a crown of righteousness? You want to put on the righteousness of Christ? You want to be done with sin? You need to first admit that you're a sinner. You need to first admit that you need to repent. Yes, I need to repent of my sin. I'm going to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, to save me from my sin, so that on that day, at the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, I get a a crown of righteousness. You see, the believer will finish well who keeps a heavenly perspective. And the unbeliever needs to begin having a heavenly perspective. The unbeliever needs to repent of sin and believe in Jesus Christ for salvation. Can you do that today? If you've never trusted Christ, you need to do that today. I like what Charles Spurgeon writes. He says, Our Master, Jesus Christ, taught us how to die as well as how to live. He could say, I have finished the work which you gave me, John 17.4. Spurgeon says, Triple blessed is the believer who in permanently laying down the shepherd's staff or the carpenter's plane or in putting aside the ledger or the school book can exclaim, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me. He says, they asked good old Mead, the the Puritan, how he was doing. He answered, I love this, he answered, Going home as fast as I can, and blessed God, I have a good home to go to. How are you living? Are you going home as fast as you can? Are you living heavenly minded? Spurgeon says, let death come. We will not be afraid. Jesus, who loved us and gave his life for us, is the resurrection and the life. Why should we not want to go? What is here that we should want to wait? What is there on this poor earth to detain a heaven-born and heaven-bound spirit, let us go. He, our treasure, is gone. He whose beauties have enthralled our love is not here. Why should we linger? He has risen. Let us rise. That's a heavenly perspective, isn't it? Living for God's glory in this day, in this here and now, spreading the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ so that others might put on the crown of righteousness which the Lord Jesus Christ, the righteous judge, gives to them one day. That's living with a heavenly perspective. And the believer who keeps his eyes fixed on the eternal reward kept for him in heaven is going to live undeterred by this world, undistracted by the temporary rusty trinkets of this world. You realize how temporary and rusty your trinkets are? I have to remind myself that at all times. This world is not our home, is it? There's something far better for you in heaven than anything you're going to find this side of heaven. Guaranteed. In God's Word, paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. We have this reminder to help us live for the advancement of God's kingdom and to finish well. Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, Paul writes, But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. We're waiting, aren't we? We're waiting, as 
Paul puts it in Titus 2.13, For our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're waiting for His appearing. Believer, do you love the Lord your God? Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you show your love for your Lord by loving and obeying His Word? If you do, your eternal reward of righteousness is in heaven. Your eternal reward of righteousness. Don't forget, remember the the sin, the fight with sin that we have today, but that will all be done. Because your eternal reward of righteousness awaits you in heaven, your fight with sin will one day be over. And those who faithfully serve Christ now only increase, only improve that eternal reward. So, So I challenge you today to do all that you do for God's glory, as 1 Corinthians 10.31 reminds us, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. I challenge you this morning to live with your eyes focused on the kingdom of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Focus your eyes on the kingdom of God. That's how you finish well. That's how you live well. That's how you live the life that God has given you And you live it for His glory. Keep your eyes fixed on the kingdom and the certain reward that's yours. Eternal, perfect Christ righteousness. Let's pray. Father in heaven, how wonderful it is as we come to Your Word this morning to be reminded of these truths from the pen of Paul and Your holy and inspired Word. And God, I pray that as a church, as individual believers, we might be able to say with Paul, we're already being poured out as a drink offering. God, help us to be living sacrifices for the sake of the gospel. Lord, when our departure comes, help us to be able to say that we had fought the good fight, that we'd finished the race, that we'd kept the faith. And Father, I pray, help us never lose sight of the fact that there is for those who repent of sin and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, laid up for them a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the the righteous judge, will award to us on that day. And God, help us to never stop telling the good news because that's not just for us as individuals, it's for all who anxiously await and look forward to and love the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. God, help us to tell the good news. Help us to do it with our lives. Help us to especially do it with our lips. Help us to tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ God, I pray that our lives would be living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to You. God glorifying and pleasing aroma that wafts up through this community and this world in which we live because we are, we are putting our hope in, in the eternal and heavenly reward of the Lord Jesus Christ and our confidence in the shed blood of Jesus Christ for our sins. God, help us to yield our lives before you that we might live well, yes, finish well, yes. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.